Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, March 6th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic and Notre Dame's football coaching staff still in flux as Brian Mason gets an offer from the Indianapolis Colts and one year and done at Notre Dame after a spectacular season as Notre Dame special teams coordinator. There's talk of uh, former Notre Dame analyst, 2016 analyst Marty Biaggi as the likely replacement. Uh, Tom Loy of 24-7 Sports reported that he will be interviewing with Notre Dame today, Monday, but that's probably a formality. It appears that Marty Biaggi will be Brian Mason's replacement. As for other Notre Dame assistant coaches, Chancey Stuckey, Dylan McCullough, and Chris O'Leary all appear to be staying with Notre Dame. So we could be finished. We may not be. We'll talk about that more. But there is no way on God's green earth that you can find a guy that's going to duplicate what Brian Mesa did in 2022 for Notre Dame. No, and I think to, to further your point, Tim, when you'd studied Brian Mason coming into South Bend, you kind of mentioned and putting all the write-ups, and I'm sure you mentioned on the podcast, yeah, they blocked six kicks. And I was like, oh, well, that's not going to happen again. I was right. He blocked more. Uh, clearly, he has the uh, ability to teach special teams. Um, and we're going to get into Biagi and anybody else they could hire. But I want to point out, I believe you said this on the message board, Priester, if I'm taking credit away from a poster instead. Sometimes when you're looking at special teams coordinators, it is important to understand how much emphasis the head coach puts on special teams. So you can be better at Notre Dame because of Marcus Freeman as a special teams coordinator than you would be somewhere else, or than you would have been under Brian Kelly, who had to be kind of cajoled to uh, to look into yeah. special teams on occasion. I'll get into that in a moment. I want Pete to respond to this, and I do want to correct what I said. I guess if you hired Pete Lembo from South Carolina, <laughs> you would be able to do what Brian yes. Mason just did at Notre Dame because uh, he was spectacular as well. Pete? Yeah, I mean, I know LeVar Woods was a name that I'd heard as like, there was some interest series from Iowa. I mean, that what he was in the Pete Lembo class of special teams coordinators. But I mean, just a and it wasn't just at Notre Dame for Brian Mason. If you look at the the football football outsider special teams rankings, which Mason cited uh, when he talked about how good the units were and how much they improved from when Brian Pullian was a special teams coach out of nowhere. Um Last year, Notre Dame was sixth nationally. The year before at Cincinnati, Mason had them at 12th. The year before that, they were 12th. The year before that, they were 35th. Um, that's really, really good, consistent special teams play. Um, it's hard to, It's hard to find that replacement. Um, so Mason was a fun guy to cover. Um, quirky guy, as I think Freeman said on the broadcast to the NBC group, and then you know, it was like, oh, I, I mean, quirky, smart, but like Mason was just kind of an interesting character um, in terms of her personality. I don't think there's anybody else on the staff like him. Um, and I thought it just really fit what a special teams coordinator is about, where you have to mix with both sides of the ball, specialists. I mean, I love the way that he created um, competition by bringing in all these walk-on kickers and punters and long snappers. And I think when it was going on, we were like, what the heck is up with this guy? But um, he got a little bit of a mad scientist vibe about him. So I think he will uh, do all hats off to him. Um, I think the last one and done Notre Dame assistant coach who didn't retire might have been Matt LaFleur. Um, so it worked out okay for him. I don't know. We'll see where it takes Brian Mason. 
Pete, I want to, I, both of you guys, I want to follow up on the quirky comment because I know a lot of people have been saying, well, not a lot of people, but I, I've seen it suggested that Mason's going to be a head coach and maybe he will be. I don't know. Number one, not everybody has aspirations to be a head coach. Most people do because the money's outrageous and you're in charge and and all that. It's that quirkiness. That's why I said, you know, I wouldn't assume that he is going to be, you know, a head coach. Um, it's just, it's just, he's kind of a special teams geek. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, he, you know, he loves so, it. Mad science, like yeah, the mad scientist mad part, scientist, is, it, big it, part exactly. about it. So that was my, <clears throat> my whole point on our message board, bringing it up that just don't, because the comment is, well, this special teams guy became a head coach and this special teams guy became, became a head coach. And I get that, but we're talking about a different person and a different personality. Maybe he does have aspirations to be a head coach, uh, but that is a completely different animal than being the, the the special team savant that he is. So the best to him, great opportunity. He's from Indianapolis. He's going to the Colts. Great opportunity for him. And now we turn our attention to apparently, uh, well, we will hear on this podcast anyway, Mar Marty Biaggi, who was at Notre Dame in 2016 as an analyst, he has a very good reputation, but I would agree with a lot of the concern that people have, and that is there are red flags statistics, statistically throughout his career uh, as a full-time coach at North Texas, Purdue, and Mississippi. I do want to point out, I do want to follow up to what you said, Tim. I do think that there is trying to be balanced here. I mean, trying to be objective about this. I do think that, I mean, clearly Brian Mason benefited from the fact that he worked for two head coaches in Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman, who willingly said here, take these starting offensive and defensive players, particularly defensive players and apply them to what you want to do special teams wise. I don't know what P Purdue did. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure what Lane Kiffin did at Mississippi, but there are one, two, three, four, five, six, Six rankings out of a total of 30 when you include uh, kick return, punt return, kick coverage, punt coverage, and block kicks. Uh, years where where his special teams finished in the 100s nationally. Uh, but very good at block, block punts and kicks. F uh, four in 2017, three in 2018, four in 2019. He did some great things at at uh, North Texas, and it, they had three more block kicks at, at Mississippi. But it's the it's the kick coverage and the return game, uh, I guess a little bit of both as I'm looking at the numbers here, that haven't always been real positive. I think just circling back, the kick coverage is crucial um, in that you should be good at it. It is not an exceptionally difficult thing to be good at. It is very hard to be good in the return game these days because kick return has been legislated out of the game. Punt return is very easy to play it safe. And honestly, the spread punt has destroyed fun punt returns in college football for the most part. But coverage should be good. Coverage leans towards you being good at that at that job. Um, I always felt like I think it's going to help that he has Marcus Freeman as his head coach and the emphasis special teams has. He has a group of special teamers that believe in special teams. As soon as they hit the ground running here in March, they realize special teams was maybe the best part of last year's overall program. Um, BK kind of treated special teams for the most part. Like I think Mike Bray treats coaching defense. It exists. And then you get really mad at it post game when it costs you a game. 
Marcus Freeman doesn't do that. I don't think it's going to happen here. Um, going forward, he'll still have he'll still have some some major players on there. But there is a buy-in. Brian Kelly was not wrong when he, even if it was his fault, when he said you have to have your best players buy in. A couple of years he had good special teams. Remember the 2015 team? Matthias Farley just made sure everybody was bought into special teams. You do need a guy like that. Bo Bauer clearly was the guy in the past, and uh, they're going to have plenty of guys to to kick off the new special teams coordinators era in that regard. Yeah, it's, I mean, when I listed the Brian Mason's Football Outsiders special teams rankings the last four years of 6th, 12th, 12th, 35th for Marty Biagi's last four, 99th, 89th, 114th, and 88th. So, and I agree that uh, having a, a head coach who demands special teams like beyond their stuff is critical um, to sort of keeping Notre Dame special teams at a high level. So I, you know, it's they needed to get this done quickly. I think that was speed was a bit of an emphasis here. Spring practice starts in what like two and a half weeks. Um, so getting it done quickly was important. And Biagi is familiar with Notre Dame, so. I, there's a there's a lot that you could point to as like okay these are reasons why this is a good move um, and as long as sort of the Freeman emphasis on special teams remains um, there's no reason Marty Biagi can't be sort of at his best as a special teams coach at a place like Notre Dame he's set up for success that's the best yes. that's probably the best way I can leave it a couple yeah. of it's like Joe, Joe Rudolph is going to have two good <laughs> offensive tackles yeah. I don't know if it's going to make him a better offensive line coach. But he's going to look good next year because he's going to have two great offensive tackles. A couple of things to consider with Biagi. Um, and I that, I don't know how much we're going to hear about this at, at other places, but he was a punter and kicker at Marshall. I mean, rare, like oftentimes we talk about special teams coaches and say, what do they know about actually the execution yeah. of kicking and punting? In this instance, he does have a track record as a player, and so I think that's beneficial um when he was like before he got into fbs football he was at southern university and they had seven returns for touchdowns in 2014 so he's had some success there he does have a little bit of a background on the defensive side of the ball before he made a name for himself uh on special teams so those are some of the positives but yeah there's some alarming numbers there and the, the probably the most alarming is the ones that that you just provided, Pete, as far as the entire national uh, ranking uh, in recent years. So um, we'll see what happens there. It appears that the rest of the coaching moves are are over. I imagine something could still happen with Al Golden, although I kind of get the sense that that would have happened already. Don't you guys think? Well, I, I didn't think Mason yeah. was up for it either, but I agree that it, it should have happened already. Yeah. I would go under 0. 0.5 at this point, but barely. Oh. I, no, I, I completely disagree with what you think about that. <laughs> I mean, it's good that uh, I would not have said under 0.5 heading into the weekend, though, until the myriad reports that uh, Dylan McCullough, Stucky and O'Leary are staying. But now I think they're they are down to one. And I would I think Golden is going to be around for another year. Yeah. Also, it is worth mentioning. It appeared for a moment that Chris Watt was staying with Notre Dame, but he apparently is also going to the Colts as an assistant uh, offensive line coach. So, you know, that's great for his career. I'd like to see Chris Watt at Notre Dame as an offensive line coach sometime, uh, but it would appear that uh, Harry Heastan's successor will probably be here for 
for a while. And so good for Chris, uh, Chris Watt. Wrapping up this section, we do want to talk about the NFL Combine. Notre Dame had four players there this past week. Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Jared Patterson, and Brandon Joseph. Tim, I know that you're handling our coverage for that now. Thank you for doing that. I was uh, unable to find I was unable to find any coverage or news on the combine this weekend, though. It was strange. There's like no public, <laughs> there's nobody talking about it, there's nobody posting things. It's it is amazing to me how quickly an entire a player's entire body of work in games yes. is quickly shoved aside for a vertical jump. It's it's a strange thing. It's a it's a fun fan event and it's a useful tool. It's amazing how much it's got to be overblown by fans compared to the usefulness of the tool by general managers and coaches, though. Obviously, there I think red flags pop up. Um, I saw a good post on our board that said there's plenty of combine warriors that don't pan out, but usually the guys that stink in the combine might not be all that good. That was a good point. Um, Kyron Williams had an awful combine. I don't think I think he might be the exception that proves that rule going forward. But that's a, that's a, that was an interesting point. I'm not going to take the time to look into the accuracy of it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say he was right. <laughs> I would agree with that random poster, whoever he or she was. I'll look um, him up. Her up. You know, it's like, for example, Brandon Joseph's combine was not good. Um, that if I was an NFL team, that would give me a lot of pause. Um, on the, but it's I don't know if this is the flip side. But if Michael Mayer went out there and just like laid down on the ground, I don't think that would have changed my opinion of him at all. Like that was the least interesting combine performance ever because I'm like, I already know this guy's a freaking stud. So I don't need to see him catch eight passes in 10 seconds as if that's a real thing in football. Hey, Pete, if Michael Mayer went out there and laid down on the ground, he'd have been playing basketball at Clemson Saturday night. (laughs) Wow. I, uh, you know, I, it's, it, it is amazing to me that we've reached the point with the, the level of af- athleticism that when, you know, what he run a four, seven, two. I think four, at, seven flat. I think he was four, seven flat, but yeah. <clears throat> either way. That ultimately was his official, you know, how those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They adjust those. I think it was a little bit slower than that, but four, seven, two for a 249 pound tight end. And it's probably a good thing that he, drop significant weight hit going into the combine. Um, you know, and I, and I know there was a lot of, I was getting a lot of uh, feedback about, man, if he doesn't run a four, two, it's not, it's, you know, he, he's probably going to drop. So we'll see. I mean, I still think his body of work is, well, we know what his body of work is and how outstanding he's been. Isaiah Foskey put up some good numbers. Uh, Jarrett Patterson held, certainly held his own, his measurables, and like he doesn't have a doesn't have really long arms, doesn't have a big wingspan, those kind of things. Uh, and and the word on him is that you know not a lot of uh, not a lot of range and mobility per se. So, but again, solid body of work, put up some good numbers. I was I never understood why Brandon Joseph was invited to the combine. Maybe because I have a hundred dollar bet with Samson about <laughs> racing being drafted in the top five rounds. But let hey. Who deserved to be, if you're just picking between those two guys, who deserved to be at the combine more? Bracey oh, definitely had the better year. That's that is no doubt about that. And I bet he would have, I bet he'll test better when they go test together at Notre Dame. Yeah, they do a pro day for that reason. I mean, look, there have been plenty of guys who didn't make the, like, I don't think Romeo Quara made the combine. Um, you know, and I, 
Romeo Carr also didn't get drafted, so maybe it's not a great example. But it just is the combine is just because you weren't invited doesn't mean you don't got a shot. Um, but I would agree with Tariq Bracey. Somebody, if I was an NFL person, I would want to see Tariq Bracey maybe a little bit more than Brandon Joseph, just because like those nickel corners are incredibly valuable, more valuable than a safety would be. And you know, it's I, I don't know. Tariq Bracey had a hell of a year. I I thought he probably sh- he should have been there. I there are he millions. Had a hell of a, he had a hell of a year in three quarters. Yeah, yeah, he did. Year and a he half. Was you know, I mean, he really came on strong in twenty twenty one. So, but look, he'll get an opportunity. He'll be in somebody's camp, and if he impresses, he'll have an opportunity to uh, to make a team. There's twenty nickel corners out there we've never heard of that will become viable nickel corners in the NFL. That's just no, the nature of that position. It's, no, no you know, doubt about it. But we saw him play at a high level against top level competition in FBS. I would, I would love it if the 49ers took Tariq Bracey in the seventh or sixth round. I think that's great. Let's give it a shot right Me there. too. Yeah. That's Priester <laughs> might not though. <laughs> oh, remember, sorry, Priester. I, I wrote I, off your fifth round. Sorry. Remember our, O'Malley, our pregame reaction when we, when we real, realized that Tariq Bracey would not be participating at USC that night. Of all of all games to be missing. It was yeah. just like, well, that's a, this is a problem. Not a good My takeaway on the combine though is draft Michael Mayer and become a better offense. Yeah, I think that will happen. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Segment two of burning up the boards. Our first question is from MRI Irish Red. Actually, that's MR Irish Red. No, I think it's Mr. Right first Irish Red. Mr. Irish Red. Yep. Yeah, we're going to keep this recording, even though it's a really bad start. <laughs> Which coaching departure will hurt Notre Dame the most? Tommy Reese, Harry Heastand, or Brian Mason? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, you could, I, I mean, you could probably make an argument for all of them. Mason's season was spectacular. Um, Heastand does what Heastand does. Tommy Reese would probably be third on that list, just like in terms of productivity from this past year but he's being replaced by a relatively mostly mm-hmm. experienced offensive coordinator man mm-hmm. i guess I'd, i guess i'd say brian mason because i'm not i'm not anticipating seven block kicks in 2023 i would i would start with reese just because it's the entire offense yeah. which is out there for 80 plays a game and i put mason second and he stand third he stand third because i think joe, joe rudolph is really good um and that line is but if if you want to put Mason first, I I'm not gonna, I, I wouldn't argue against it. Um, I just think that re- rebooting the offense, um, going from Reese to Jared Parker, I'm not saying Tommy Reese was like the second coming of Bill Walsh out there, but that's a that's a that's a, a redo. But again, you've got Sam Hartman instead of Drew Pine, so yeah. he'll, he yeah. should look good. The other thing is that Jared Parker is going to have Sam Hartman at quarterback. So yeah, that's he- what I'm saying. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to make a huge, huge difference in, in, uh, in, in the kind of job that Jared Parker does in his first season. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say he stands simply because he might have two first round draft picks up there. That helps a lot. Uh, future first round draft picks and he has a fifth year, three year starter in the middle. That helps a lot. Um, Reese, when we say reboot, Parker can kind of hit the ground running with a much better quarterback. So maybe, maybe it's not Tommy Reese either. I mean, that's, I would think the biggest drop off from coaching. It's got to be from one year or two years. It's got to be Brian Mason. Brian Mason helped in his limited 
snaps, as Pete pointed out, helped win football games, including Clemson. USC had USC game plan to not allow him to beat them by having their quarterback punt. I read somewhere. I read job. somewhere on Irish Illustrated that Mason wasn't a big loss because I saw that the block, kick, that? The block kicks didn't contribute to victories. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, they, okay. they almost beat Marshall playing the worst game you possibly could play. Only because of special teams. Yeah, that's a strange, that was a strange take. I saw something on Twitter too that said he was overrated. I was just trying to figure out, it was going at Tyler James' uh, Twitter account. I never, I never try to chime in on these things, but I almost did. What, what's your criteria for overrating Maybe somebody? Because, because kick returns weren't good. I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult to be great in every aspect of special teams. Yeah, you know, season. what's interesting about the kick return team is, and I had to think about this, they were terrible. In 2020 with Chris Tyree, they were good in 21, and then they were terrible in 22. And I remember Polian saying um, in 21, prior to Tyree having the good year, he said, you know what? There were opportunities. He didn't hit it. He's going to hit it this year. It's just, I, We talked about this off the air, and this is a giant segue. I wonder if Chris Tyree will be the kick returner, because you can't fault Brian Mason for using Chris Tyree as your kick returner. Put on the film of the Wisconsin return. Chris Tyree is your kick returner. Yeah. You could you could fault the not fault, but you could look at the next guy. I, I beat if Biagi or whoever comes in looks at kick returns, you'd be like, we need to find another kick returner. Well, I, I mean he if you look at how many Chris kick Tyree returns he has, 60, 45. Yeah, Chris Tyree is living off of one kick return, man. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It's one out of like 45, probably. Two, maybe it's maybe it's two. We're not we're probably not giving him credit for a couple other good ones, but right, right. Yeah, of course. But I don't know. Good question, uh, which we'll follow with a question from it's kind of a combination of a bunch of questions here from Irish John M and Thunder 2002 and Irish Austin P. I'll throw it all together. Uh, da, 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 da. Is that it for the coaching departures or will, will there be others? And then a question is one or two years in Notre Dame about what we as fans should expect out of the coaches that Coach Freeman is bringing in. I think that's what you expect from most successful programs. You hope for two years, not one. As Pete pointed out, there's not a lot of one and dones. Two and dones are going to be the norm, probably. Um, for coaching departures, it's only Golden and Mickens that haven't somehow announced through the Goog or through reporters that they're coming back, right? Is that all right. we're missing? Uh, Al Washington. Al Washington also. Right. Um, I would be surprised on that one. Yeah, I think two years is, I think, a, a pretty normal um, lifespan for an assistant coach anywhere. Um, I was I was surprised that um, I think Chancey Stuckey was sort of in the mix here. But, like, you know, if the NFL wants to interview, the NFL wants to interview. Um, I, thought, I thought he might be one of the more of the exceptions where, like, he'd be here for, you know, three or four years. But um, we'll see. It's... Um, I don't think you ever expect a one and done. I mean, Marty Biagio was one and done at Ole Miss. Um, that that happens too. But um, I think two years is reasonable. The third year is kind of a bonus. Fourth year, I think you're that's almost never ever happens. You got to have some unique circumstances to get into that mix. Yeah, if you're winning sixty, what is it, sixty three games in in six years, your assistant coaches are going to be coveted. They're going to have opportunities to step up, whether it's. Uh, whether it's a coordinator's position or a positional spot within the NFL, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of talk about NFL, but, but keep in mind that there's, there will remain finite number of 
positions open in the NFL. So it won't always be quite so fluid, but nobody is immune to losing a coach to the NFL, Alabama, anybody can lose a coach to the NFL. And Brian Mason was that good, man. I mean, he was simply that good. And there's not much you can, you can do about that. As far as other, we talked about coaching departures, man, I think other than Al Golden, I wouldn't expect in any, any further possibilities for now. And I, and I also, as I said earlier, I would think that at this stage, it looks like Al Golden's the defensive coordinator. And we do have a question on, uh, on Al Golden. I'm going to go ahead and jump to that here, Tim, from T Branson. What is your opinion of Al Golden? It seems he gets a lot of flack and I don't know if it's all deserved. I think he might get a lot of flack from that USC game uh, as they did look a little lost up. And I know Caleb Williams is the major part of that, but they they did not tackle well in space. They did not they did not stop the run, which was the one thing we thought they might be able to do to slow USC. Um, but Al Golden, for most of the year, was considered the superior coordinator between he and Reese. The defense was considered the superior. I should say that was, the defense was considered the superior unit, but the offense was holding Notre Dame back. Um, they weren't great, but they kept Notre Dame in every game except for the USC game. Yeah. So which, I think people have been harsh on him. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned this at the top of the show. Like, if you're going to be harsh on Al Golden in the USC game, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that Tariq Gracie and Cam Hart were on the sidelines the entire time. They were uh, the wrong guys to have on the sideline against. Yeah, I can't. Did, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Did Brandon Joseph? He played a little bit in that game, but I mean, he wasn't 100 percent completely. I yeah, I did. I, he play at all? I'm I'm blanking on it. Um, we're talking basically three starters in the second. <laughs> yeah, so that's Out of five. That's tough. Um, I thought Al Golden had a pretty good year. I think one of the things that I'm going to air quote works against him is he's not Marcus Freeman. He's not Clark Lee and he's not Mike Elko. He had, he had a very tough act to follow of those four defensive coordinators. One of them was going to have the fourth best year. It was probably Al Golden, but that's okay. I mean, I don't think he had a bad year. He just wasn't like a defensive wizard the way like Clark Lee was. You know, the two areas that were concerning, of course, the red zone, and I know that that was something that we at Irish Illustrated were pounding on early in the season, and then the trend just continued. And then the other thing was the long second-half touchdown drives, uh, yeah. touchdown drives at crucial moments of games. Those are two really bad things to be bad at, red right. zone and, right. and long touchdown drives when – you know, you're trying to put a team away and you let them jump back in front, those kind of things. But, that, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to say, well, with the exception of that, he was really good. But with the exception of that, they were they were pretty darn good most of the time. There were a lot of, Tim, you tracked all this. I mean, the three and out numbers, I'm not sure what it ended up being, but there seemed like a high number of, of drives in which the opponent did absolutely nothing and then they would explode in the next drive. There were, I think if you really break it down, he also is dinged by fans and maybe everybody because we thought the defense would be better overall than it was, especially after the Ohio State game when we thought, holy smokes, that defense came to play. Even though they weren't the unit to blame by any measure against Stanford or Marshall, they gave up the game winning and game clinching drives against Stanford and Marshall. That adds up, right? You need to make those stops against Marshall and you don't, and you can point to, well, Maris, not Maris Leofow, I'm sorry, uh, Ramon Henderson blew an assignment. Well, that's, that's what happens. People blow assignments and it's, it's gotta be on the coordinator too. Um, circling back, Joseph did play against USC. He, uh, he hadn't played in the previous 
two games after playing against Clemson. I think it's pretty clear, though. Brandon Joseph was not the same. Whenever he hurt his ankle, it must have been during Clemson preparation week because he played sparingly in that game, too. He was just not the same player. Yeah, I was just say with Golden, like at the athletic, we we have one of our guys track stop rate, which is just essentially the percentage of drives that end in punts, turnovers, or turnovers on downs. Notre Dame finished twenty second, just pretty good, like not elite but good. Um, and I think that's that would probably be a good way to sum up the defense yeah, overall. You know, and in accordance with that, uh, you know, we talk about red zone, but what what was Notre Dame like twelfth or thirteenth in the country in number of red zone penetrations allowed, right. which is a significant yeah. stat stat so um yeah a mixed bag a couple of really bad ones but man if you could you know now now you have to now you have to go back into it in 2023 without your defensive ends um with some some uncertainty at safety uh but i but i would expect overall the consistency of the defense to be better under al golden in, in year two he's a good i mean he's a good he's a good football coach i think we know that um yeah but you have to eliminate a couple of some of those uh, bad stats question. Let me jump back here. We may have already kind of touched upon, but J E F 44, which Norton player helped himself out the most at this past week's combine. There was no Claypool or Boykin this year. Um, but in terms of helping himself, the most would be Fosky. Fosky tested. We thought he'd test well and he tested well. Yeah, it's Fosky. I'm, I'm not even sure there's a, I don't think mayor helped himself, but he didn't yeah. hurt himself. Um, you know, Joseph didn't help himself. And I think Patterson just kind of is, I don't think there was a great revelation about Patterson either. So if there's anybody, it'd probably be Foskey. The, the, the question with Foskey that, that I heard coming out of the senior bowl is just, you know, motor and just flat out unstoppable determined effort that you're, that, that the NFL obviously is looking for in, in, in defensive ends. And so I think that's still the concern coming out of senior bowl. Yes, he helped himself at the combine, uh, but there's some conflicting opinions and and criteria out there. I think from the Senior Bowl that that he still has to to battle for. I think it's fair. Marcus Freeman mentioned it, uh, right? Sure, in absolutely. A, in a kinder way, in a kinder way, of course, yes. he was smart about it. He Foskey's breakout game, and this sounds bad when you say it out loud, was UNLV in Game Seven, and we somebody asked about Foskey, and Freeman said that's he has to realize he can be dominant player. Those words came out on for a reason. He was he, he was kind about it. They killed people. Foskey looked awesome, so Freeman didn't get any flack for it. But he meant it when he said it. Right. And now, having said that, I don't know that there's a an abundance of pure pass rushers from the defensive ends position in this year's draft either. So that you know, on the I flip would take a chance that. on Isaiah Foskey. The worst thing you can say about him is he's a good uh, human being that might not fit yeah. perfectly for <laughs> crazy and it's like, the NFL. When we talk about there, there are a million Kevin Austins or a million Tariq Bracy's. There are not a million Isaiah Foskies in terms of height, weight, wingspan. Just there just aren't a lot of guys built like that. So it's it's somebody to take a chance on that uh, you're going to be happy that he's part of your franchise. Question Thanks from Terry. Terry. Oh, go ahead, Tim. From Terry Benedict, if Jared Parker gets mm -hmm. one of the freshman receivers more involved than Tommy Reese did, is he instantly a better coach according to the fans? <laughs> Could you imagine if Jared Parker gets Jordan Johnson on the field this fall? <laughs> that would be a that'd be he a, was a five star i think the college um, of arts and letters might make that tough but um you know tobias merriweather where the first time he catches a post people are gonna give him the old i told you so because it uh i was surprised tobias merriweather look let we we've always said 
freshmen have to go more than meet their coordinator or position coach or offense halfway to play because you have other options. This time last year, without even hitting early and rolling, I know I did. I'm not going to speak for you, but I think you both thought Tobias Merriweather is going to have an impact for Notre Dame in 2022, and he didn't. So this is the year of all the years where I get it. It was a made-up junk podcast, not ours, commentary at the Jordan Johnson year. That was ridiculous. We knew Jordan Johnson couldn't play. The next school he went to knew he couldn't play, and the next school he's going to is going to wonder how in the world he was recruited by Notre Dame. Tobias Merriweather, I think, could have probably made a bigger impact in Notre Dame last year, to be fair. And I think he would have if he didn't get that concussion in practice. Yeah, I think You mean that's... as the, oh, as the year went on? Yeah. Yeah. In Nova, I think he would have had a not like a 30 catch November, but I think he right. would have had like eight catches and a touchdown. He could have been yeah. Colsey along with Colsey. Yeah. Yep. And I do want to remind everybody that okay, you look at who's coming back at receiver for Notre Dame and who's joining the group. And I mean Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech. That's an established big receiver. You have Jaden Thomas, who really started to evolve. You have Deion Colsey, who started to evolve. You have Lorenzo Styles, who had a poor year, but is capable if 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 he's focused on what he needs to focus on. And then Tobias Merriweather. So that's five guys that are all older and more proven than Jaden Greathouse and and uh, and Braylon James and Rico Flores and and uh, Caleb Smith, the younger KK Smith. Um, so I mean, those guys. That's definitely five guys that start the spring uh ahead of three early entry freshman wide receivers certainly they're going to get a ton of reps that's the great thing about spring those guys are going to get a ton of reps we'll see how healthy Jaden Greathouse is following the knee uh procedure but I I don't think that that ultimately will hold him back too much this spring I don't know we're going to find out here very shortly but uh so I mean, five guys that clearly start ahead of where the freshmen are. Yeah, and honestly, Salerno in terms of snaps, too, because he'll Salerno. come in and block. Yeah. Um, I just said that so our podcast could blow up. But Barry Weather last year, I think they needed, and it didn't work out. I don't know if they need, because of what you just pointed out, Priester, they don't know necessarily need one of these three freshmen. It would be great if one of these three freshmen just passes somebody, because that's, that's how healthy programs work. Somebody becomes great. Yeah, and I think... I think great house in Flores, right? I mean, those are your, not that Braylon James won't you be mean a good 23 receiver, James is not as high but in 20, yeah, in 23. I think great house and Flores have a better yeah. opportunity to see playing time than, than, than Braylon James. So Notre Dame's uh, own staff believes that too. So yes, I think it's exactly. that's why accurate it's, read. Yes. yes. <laughs> Next from Sam WO3 Indy. How will the offense change in the coming years? Post Reese. That's an interesting question because there are layers to it. And again, we go back to Sam Hartman being the quarterback. I mean, it was going to change with or without Tommy Reese because of the insertion of Sam Hartman, a quarterback. You're going to see Nording throw the football downfield much more tied in with all these, these bigger, most of these guys are bigger receivers. Um, as it relates to moving beyond that with Jared Parker, it's a little difficult to do that. I think the RPO game is going to be much more, prominent under Jared Parker than it was with Tommy Reese. What got, what would you guys add to that? I would, I would hope the RPO game would be more prominent. Um, and it, I don't know if this is a change as much as like, I don't think that Reese's offense created a lot of like 
free access throws, which are all over the field in every other college game that you watch. Um, I think that's that's some that's a place Notre Dame can be better. Um, it would be hard to do more motion uh, and pre-snap adjustments than what Reese did. Like, I don't know, this not to sidetrack, but like when I hear pro style um, as like an offensive philosophy in college, part of me is like, yeah, that's great if you're in the pros. Like, there are a bunch of like crazy colleges offenses that put up insane numbers that are not pro style but are really, really effective in college. And the point is to score as many points as you can in college opposed to develop guys for the pros. I, I want to be fair to Freeman on this one. He just said that for recruiting. Oh, yeah. that's No, I get it as a recruiting tool. That's for sure. It's You're not going to run an offense. Nobody's going to say, be like... You had to say something after saying we're going to be a run-first <laughs> offense. For we really want to be in. a slow-mesh <laughs> offense. Like, nope, yeah, not a recruiting to. pitch. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I would add, Tim, to what you said, agree with all of it. I think we'll see more changes in 24 than in 23. I think there's a little bit of a, not a seamless transition, but a natural transition from 22 to 23 uh, plus RPOs. I, I agree. I, I think it's a continuation of the offense. Yeah. It, it basically. Enhanced. Yeah. You got to use the word enhance. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm sure he will enhance uh, in, in some areas, but I think that I think Tommy Reese had a pretty good overall plan. We don't, you know, nobody agrees with everything that anybody that, you know, uh, offensive coordinator runs, but I think he had a pretty good plan. And, uh, and so from that standpoint, you know, seamless, it's hard to say seamless in any situation when you go from one year to the next, but I do think that that will, that will help Jared Parker in his transition into being Notre, Notre Dame's uh, offensive coordinator and play caller. Question from K Beasley. Rank who's going the rank who's going the furthest this postseason? Women's <laughs> basketball, hockey, lacrosse, or baseball? I'll start with women's spend, basketball. We don't have to spend too much time on I got women's basketball. Oh, lacrosse. Yeah. Lacrosse Lacro- is it's happening for lacrosse this year. Yeah, definitely lacrosse. Number two, Nordane defeated number four, Maryland yesterday. Uh, and they're really good. They're really good. Women's basketball, Tim. I just think that the injury situation is going to hold them up. And hockey just lost two out of three at home to Michigan State after winning the first game. And baseball is hitting 181 as a team through nine games. They did win uh, their second series in a row, but had a chance at a sweep yesterday and did not accomplish that. I'm not sure where the talent level is um, for that team to to have any any kind of success similar to what has happened the previous previous couple of years. Next question is from Tony Rice. I assume this is not Tony Rice, just for the nature of the question. Why hasn't Brad Stevens' name come up for the basketball job? He would be pricey, but a perfect fit for the job. And this also goes along with Elm City Domer, who I also assume is not Tony Rice. Will Notre Dame allow the men's basketball program to mine the transfer portal to retool the roster and bring players in with the new coach? Brad Stevens is the director of he's the president of the Boston Celtics. He has made it, man. Which is, which is like about the pinnacle of basketball. Right? Yeah. Um, just I, I want or not to give some false hope, but on March 20th, Brad Stevens will be on a college campus in Indiana. I'm just saying, like, I know it's he'll be at DePaul and not Notre Dame, but still, like, just keep that in mind. DePaul's not so they that have far a- away. 
Can you put a good word in for him, Pete? I don't know if they have an opening, but I think he'd be a perfect fit there. (laughs) I mean, a a true home run hire. Yeah, I would love for Notre Dame to get Brad Stevens, but I don't think that he's going to give up one of the best jobs in all of basketball. What if it's not about the money? Then he might go to Notre Dame, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, Notre Dame's willing to invest, so. Now, as it relates to uh, Elm City Domer, we've said this several times, Notre Dame is going to need at least, at least you, can, you can say a number. Say a number. I mean, four to four to six transfers. They need, and even then, I don't think they'll fill all. Why the not eight? Scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> They're losing five grad senior starters, a sixth grad senior on the team that simply tried to get a basket at the end of the game uh, against Pittsburgh, which almost created a fight. I'm talking about Robbie Carmen. He tried to score at the end and. Uh, Hinson wasn't too pleased about that. I talked to a ex Dame player since he probably doesn't want this broadcast post game. He said, considering how they were calling timeouts and diving all over the court with seven seconds left pressing, he would have windmilled that as opposed to going up and trying to lay it and get the point. And I wanted to explain that Carmody maybe four years ago would have windmilled it too. Yeah, he definitely would have four years ago, but uh, yeah. yeah, they need to, I mean, the entire roster needs to be rebuilt. It, it still remains to be seen if they can keep, all three of the current freshmen, Starling, Lubin, and Campbell, which they absolutely need to. I, I, I'm i more concerned about Lubin than any of them. So if they keep, you're, mm-hmm. you're saying concern, not of lead. Your concern is you like him the best and want him to stay the most. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My concern. Yeah, not my like concern. you've heard that he's leaving. Or no, no, like yeah. no. But I mean, there's going to be a lot of interest in Van Allen Lubin and Hey, it's 2023. He'll get offers. They'll they'll walk right up. They'll 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 knock on his door in, in his dorm room and see if he wants to come right. transfer to another school. So they have five players, right? The three freshmen, Zona and Jr. coming back from redshirt. And right 20- now, one incoming freshman from South Bend, Mishawaka. So that's six players. You assume no Tony Sanders. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, depending upon where he is with his degree, I think he. If he's graduating, then it, then it could be a problem. If he doesn't have his degree, he'll. I believe he'll. Sure, he would stay for his degree. Maybe just not on the basketball team or playing much since he didn't play a minute this year. Did he play thirty seconds? No, Sa- Sanders played. He did. Yeah, he basketball? played on, against Clemson on Saturday night. Oh, that's right, he did. Everybody got to play against Clemson. That's true. Yeah, including um, the old Clemson student manager who's. I think you have a minimum of five graduate transfers. Man. That yeah. is tough. Yeah, and see, there's there is there's the problem that it it's probably grad transfers as opposed to undergrad transfers, which means then you have to have a massive, a, a larger than normal incoming freshman class next year. Yeah, that's okay. No, it's assistance a... because you're losing all those after 23-24. You probably it, uh... need to get a late signee, too. That yeah, Brad, Brad Stevens is not going to be interested. This is not no? a real attractive Are you sure? But well, it's yeah. not – I mean, it's not attractive to – I think a lot of coaches would look at this and say, man, the, the roster management, the roster situation is just – it's a mess. It's really – You a need a two-year plan. You need a two-year plan for your roster. Um, you have to take in – the new coach can't say, well, we have Tony Sanders and Matt Zona coming back in this freshman and Jr. Cause he's not invested. He can't be invested in anybody other than the three freshmen from this year. You can't be invested in these guys at all. I'm not saying you take their scholarships. I'm saying you want to get somebody better than all the players I just mentioned five players better. Yep. 
Well, you certainly need productivity out of Konesny. I mean, in order to to make this, uh, there's no way it's a smooth transition. And in order to make this transition a little bit better, that's a that's a guy that that has some length, some shooting ability, and some ups. And you hope to get some, you hope right. to get some productivity right. out of them next year. Long Grant's, rebuild though. It is yeah, a rebuild, but grad rebuild. students can help you rebuild. Like Pittsburgh's starting lineup had nine former colleges or universities among their five uh, in terms of transfer total. I hear what you're saying, but like Notre Dame, like just as an institution, is not built to be like grad transfer. You, um, I don't. I guess if the just, football team can bring in four or five, the basketball team can bring in three or four when you need it. It's a special right. I mean, but I'm just saying like percentage of the roster there is not the same. Right. It's you know? not, you're not going to get, you're, you're probably not going to get grad transfers from Memphis. You have to, how are you going to field 10 players if you don't bring in four grad transfers? I know that's the problem. I mean, just like putting a team on the court next year is going to be a challenge. Right. And it's grad transfers from academic matches to Notre Dame, not. You know, I think when you get into the grad transfer market, like Cormac Ryan was undergrad from Stanford. Okay, that works. Brandon Joseph was undergrad from Northwestern. That works. Um, the grad transfer, I mean, they, they certainly, they've taken, football's taken Arizona State, Cam Smith, uh, Kane Madden, Marshall. Certainly have been a lot more liberal with the grad transfer in terms of where they're coming from. Um, True. So, I don't know. We'll see. It, uh, But, man, that. A lot, a lot of work got to happen there. And I mean, it's college basketball. There's a million, not a million. There's a lot of like mid-major players who would be one of the top two or three players on Notre Dame's roster. And if you're hiring somebody, if you're hiring somebody from Creighton or Drake or Colgate, they're going to have a pretty good scouting report on who all those players are. Yeah, like Basili that went to Virginia Tech. I mean, you if you just if you put Grant Basili in the starting lineup for Notre Dame this year. You go four and sixteen. They go four and six. No, they go. They go. No, you're seven right. They, thirteen, seven sure. and th- seven and thirteen. You know, easily I don't, though, you're right. Easily they go seven and yeah. thirteen because everything changes for the rest of the players. So I, I think that's a minimum without being as sarcastic as I was yeah. possibly being there. You could, you could bro, you could broach five hundred with a real center. Yeah, I mean, you can throw out any number and it yeah. doesn't mean anything because you have no idea how to project something like that, but he would have made a significant difference. He tore Notre Dame up. He may tear Notre Dame up Tuesday night here in the ACC tournament. He might get one more podcast out of Irish illustrated insider, depending how he plays on Tuesday night for next week. uh, We're going to wrap it up here uh, for now. We are, we are 16 days away from the start of spring football practice. We are two days away from having interviews with Notre Dame players. We have not been given that list yet, but we assume that it's, that's guys like Sam Hartman and the freshman early entry offensive players who we have yet to speak to. So things are picking up. Tim, you have something? Yeah, you know what yesterday was in Notre Dame football history? Notre Dame football history on March 5th? Yep. Pete? I don't. No, nothing. It was the, it's the three-year anniversary of the Kevin Austin practice. Where we oh, did get wow. to watch football again for uh, 13 months. That was months. big. Yes. That was that big. Was really big. That was that got us through an entire off season of COVID podcasts. Who will be the Kevin Austin of March 22nd's practice? Hopefully with no pandemic to follow. We're hoping, but we will be back as a podcast on Monday, March 13th for Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. I'm Tim Priester. Thanks for joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider.
This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish!